Welcome to the prologue to a podcast I'm calling A Parrot Squawking. I wanted to call it a cockatoo squawking, but a parrot squawking sounds better. I wanted to call it a parrot squawking because, no, I wanted to call it a cockatoo squawking because I'm an Australian and a cockatoo just sounds a little bit more Australian. <laughs> uh, but I called it a parrot squawking because it sounds better. Uh, and I've actually already spoken 14 chapters, I was going to say. I've already spoken 14 episodes of this podcast. And I'm coming back to the start to insert a prologue. As to what I'll use subject material-wise for the prologue, well, I'm going to grab a snippet out of the 14th episode. Uh, as it turns out, you know, and this is probably... Uh, not a surprise. Uh, one starts off in episode one a little haltingly, you know, a little nervously, trying to work out what the hell you're doing. And then as you get into a few episodes, you start to relax. And by the 14th episode, I was pretty relaxed. So, by way of prologue, let's have that snippet from the 14th episode and then head back to episode one and then slowly work our way forward to the 14th episode again and then beyond to 15, 16, 17 and so on. Uh, I do not expect you to have stuck around even this long. Uh, If I was you, I would have dropped out before I even started on a podcast called something like A Parrot Squawking. Personally, I would have gone and listened to something that sounded more like The History of Rome by Mike Duncan, yeah, which is a podcast I loved. Okay, But, you know, I'm doing my own podcast and this is how it goes. And here it comes, a snippet from episode 14. Make of it what you will or what you won't. The sporty monk, which is a joke, you know, don't take me seriously, it's a joke. All right, but the guy is saying uh, that faith has some validity, I think, in as much as it can be useful for you. You If you engage in faith, if you play the game of faith, it it can be useful to you. I think that's what he's saying. This numerous examples of that in history. And the one that always pops into my head is Alexander the Great, who thought he was Achilles, you know. His mother told him from when he was a baby, I'm sure she did, Olympia, uh, you're a god, you know. You're a god, Alexander. And uh, Greek boys, you know, they, you know what it's like. Those Greek boys, if you're a Greek girl, you know all about that, maybe. And um, you're a god, Alexander. And he had faith that he was a god. Yeah, maybe he did. Look, he had Aristotle as a teacher and he knew about Plato and all that sort of stuff, so he probably knew alternative uh, truths with respect to that. But let's just say, you know, he, he saw himself, you know, he thought, he, he, he imagined Achilles was real and that he was the next Achilles, and he had faith in that, you know. So you might say, oh, come on, think logically, uh, Alexander, you 
Um, you had Aristotle as a teacher. You know how to think logically. Uh, but he might have said, no, you know what? I'll go with my mum. We boys, we like to go with our mums. And, um, and he said, I'll go with my mum. I like the idea that I'm a god. You know, I have faith in that. He said, look, I'm also a scientist, you know. Um, as I go conquering, um, I, I uh, collect yeah, little samples of flora and fauna, and I send them back to Aristotle so that he can classify them and all that. I'm a scientist, but you know what, I think I'm Achilles as well. You know, I can wear two hats here. You know. So, Alexander, you know, let's imagine that he's a man of faith. But he's a man of science as well, you know, and um, you know, and, and he uses whichever one is useful to him at any given point in time. And uh, when he is uh, when he's uh, launching himself into battle against mad elephants over in India, uh, he his head is full of the idea that he is Achilles, and he is fearless, and he. He just goes in and and takes down an elephant all by himself, you know, um, a mad elephant charging, you know, and he's Achilles and and he managed to pull that off, you know, amazing, you know. I don't know if he actually took down an elephant himself. He probably did, knowing Alexander. All right, because he's Achilles. He's a god, you know. Um, the you know, uh, and that's as he's charging into battle because if he was just relying on science at that point in time, that probably wouldn't serve him well. Um, because he would do the calculations and say, I'm probably a dead man here. No, I'll go with faith. You know, it's more useful to me. This is a utilitarian approach. Um, but then on other occasions, you know, days before the battle, he's being very scientific, you know, he's a master strategist, and he's thinking, what are all the, what are all the odds, and, you know... What are the tactics I'm going to use, you know? How, calculating how many men he's going to lose. And even back then he's calculating, yeah, I'll probably get killed as well, but let's just, um, let's play the odds here. And um, oh, I can feel that godlike sort of feeling coming on even as I'm strategizing here, I'm looking forward to this. And you know, he, that, that's where his eyes are rolling back in his head and he's just crossing over from science to faith. But the point is, science and faith are not in conflict here. They're working together in the head of Alexander the Great. They're not in conflict. It's not that not an either-or sort of thing. You know, he's not having a fight in his head. He's using everything that there is to offer in the world to eventually become the god his mother told him he was. As a scientist, I am going to say as a small t truth um, that a rock is hard and a marshmallow is soft, okay? And then someone might come along and um, they might have a marshmallows are hard religion, you know, and rocks are soft, you know what I mean? So there might be a religion out there um, where it has two commandments. Marshmallows are hard and rocks are soft, and that's the commandments, you know, of this holy religion. And... Um, but the scientists would say, listen, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, that's your truth, you know, um, because you've decided that's your truth and you're going to, um, you're going to observe the properties of a rock and the properties of a marshmallow and you're going to, you know, somehow you're going to make that rock soft 
and that marshmallow hard. That's okay, right? That's your game. That's your game, you know. And if that person truly believes, they'll they'll find a way to make that rock soft and that marshmallow hard, you know, by altering the definition of the word hard and the word soft and all that sort of stuff. You know, there are games you can play. But if you start with what you want to believe and work backwards, you can make it happen. Right, that's theology. That's theology, okay? Um, so, but science will say, listen, we are just going to um, use what we call the scientific method and we're going to, you know, um, call that rock hard and that marshmallow soft. And the only reason we're going to do that is not to oppose you theologians. We're not going to oppose you. We just, you know, within our limited perspective, we are going to... Um, we are going to make it a truth, right? It doesn't have to be a capital T truth. It doesn't have. We may change our minds down the track if we discover something else, you know, um, like armor. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, such that if someone threw a rock at you and someone threw a marshmallow at you, neither one of them is going to hurt. Now that's a joke. Um, all right. So, um, but we are going to say that. Um, from a scientific perspective, you know, that sort of truth. Not a religious perspective, that sort of truth. Um, a rock, we are going to say, as a law of physics, is hard. And a marshmallow is soft. And and the religious person might say, but why, you know, so, but why? And, they say, and we're going to say, because it's useful to us. Because if someone throws a, a, a marshmallow at us, we're just going to smile, not move, and smirk, and let that marshmallow hit us, you know, because we're going to use our science for our own benefit. You know, we're not going to bother even ducking, you know, if someone throws a marshmallow at us. We're not going to even be frightened. We're going to say, ha ha, you know, and, but if someone throws a rock at us, we're going to duck. All right, so we've used, we, the, why are we engaging in science? Because it's, useful in a practical way all right and we might find other uses beyond that as well you know science may alter our culture and our culture may alter our politics and our you know you know and, and, and that's the sort of thing that happened in the enlightenment but that's a whole broader topic let's keep this simple all right and the theologian says you are doing that in opposition to us and we say no we're doing it because it's useful to us that's all you know and, um, and, you know, another example of that would be that science, you know, will, um, yeah, a long time ago, science decided to really get stuck into analysing lightning, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, what's his name? Flew a kite, was that Benjamin Franklin or whatever, and, you know, let lightning hit it and then, you know, let the lightning, let the electricity come down the wire and, you know, and and it powered up his laptop. You know, I think that happened with Benjamin Franklin. And he said, oh, wow, okay, I've harnessed electricity. You know, that sort of thing can happen. And so, um, and this is very similar to the rock and the snowball. I'm not sure whether my, I'm making these analogies up as I go along on the spot. So if they're not good analogies, make up your own, you know. Just because my analogies might be bad, doesn't mean you throw out the ideas, you know. 
we're not on social media here, you know, where if you use a bad analogy, um, person will, you know, people will say, ha ha, we just saw that your analogy is rubbish, um, so your whole point falls over. You know, I'm sort of proposing, if I ever give it a, a bad metaphor or a bad analogy or whatever, just make up one that's better, you know. <laughs> you do some work. <laughs> but anyway, so electricity, you know, a little bit like the rock and the snowball. Um, scientists um, harness electricity via the same sort of reasoning, you know, and they sort of say, look, our comprehension of electricity is X, Y, and Z, and we think we can harness it. We think we are harnessing it because, you know, our, our foggy eyesight, our blurry eyesight, even if you've got 20-20 vision, it's blurry because you can't see deep into the leaves. You can't see the atoms, you know. You can't see to the subatomic level. You can't see to the sub-subatomic level. Um, can't see the changelings and the strangelings. Um, so we are going to say that we are, you know, as far as we can tell, we have detected um, electricity and we've harnessed electricity. And, you know, um, and that was a direct current we, we were able to harness because um, the lightning hit the um, kite that Benjamin Franklin was flying and the electricity did come down the piece of string and, you know, and burnt Benjamin Franklin to death and melted his brain. You know, that's what actually happened. He didn't really have a laptop. He died on the spot there. And um, another guy came along and pretended to be Benjamin Franklin from then on and put on the wig and, um, and claimed all his glories, you know. That's what really happened. But um, but point is, um, we say we have harnessed electricity, and then a religious person comes along from um, you know Greece, um, and I shouldn't pick on the Greeks because they're the ones I think that invent really invented si the idea of science. I think science comes from the Greeks. Science comes from other places too. Science comes from Babylon. Science comes from India. Science comes from Indigenous Australia. If you looked hard enough, you'll find science came from anywhere. But I, I'm more familiar with the science that came from the Greeks, you know, arising from the idea of doubt, you know, as uh, put forward by Socrates. Doubt everything that you think you know, you know. But let's say there was a Greek who was determined that Zeus makes electricity. All right. Um, and... You know, um, and this fake Benjamin Franklin says, "I have harnessed electricity, and it's a natural property of the universe." You know, um, um, you know, a small n natural, small p property of the small u universe, and um, and that's and it's a very it's a scientifically explainable phenomenon. You know, and the religious Greek person from prior to Socrates says, no, 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 Zeus is throwing it down and um, throwing lightning bolts at you and um, and it blew up your uh, that tree next to you, your favourite peppercorn tree. Um, it blew up that tree next to you because you swore, you, you said a swear word yesterday and he's punishing you, all right? That sort of thing. And then the scientist says, no, you know, no, we think we're harnessing electricity here. You know, forget Zeus for a minute. Um, in fact, I've gone a little bit further. I've worked out, you know, that electricity, you know, the clouds are rubbing together and making that um, lightning bolt. 
and that evaporation of water is making the clouds and you know and the clouds are raining into the rivers and there's a bit of a cycle going on there and I can completely understand that I can completely understand that from my foggy perspective in without reference to any you know divine intervention you know and um, the ancient Greek guy you know from before Socrates says no it's Zeus you're wrong and the scientist said look you just stick with your Zeus thing and I'm going to stick with my thing because it's useful for me. And they said, in what way is it useful? And they said, well, ta-da, look at this, an iPhone. And they said, oh, what's that? It's an iPhone. How'd you, how did you make that? Well, because, um, you know, I just kept working on the idea of um, harnessing electricity and one thing led to another and here I have got an iPhone. Yay, verily, you know. And the other guy said, gee, that's great actually. Listen, I'm gonna stick with my Zeus idea, but can I have one of those iPhones? Sure, you know, I'll put you on a plan, you know. Um, all right, and you sign up on a, you know, and the religious guy signs up on a plan, and voila, the religious guy has got an iPhone. But he's still religious, and he still believes Zeus is throwing down those thunderbolts, uh, lightning bolts, and, um, but he's also using the iPhone at the same time. Um, and the scientist gets to be the scientist and he says, all right, you know. The scientist is happy because he just got rich. Yeah, and this is kind of, the Western world had this experience for a while, it got rich, you know, because of science. Um, but most of the other world, the rest of the world was still being very religious. You know, this is just after the enlightenment, as we call it. And the Western world got rich and the rest of the world was still believing in Zeus and, the, and these thunderbolts and all, all variations of that. And, um, and suddenly the West was rich and created technologies um, and being humans um, had all this power afforded to them by wealth and technology and all that sort of thing and you know developed up their political systems as a result and all that sort of stuff and then being humans um, absolutely smashed the rest of the planet smashed the rest of the planet into submission yeah they you know and I've argued I won't get into it you know I think there were um, reasons of geography and climate that um, uh, in, uh, that um, inspired those humans to create this level of science technology um, which didn't you know it's, and, and there were other places on the planet where the climate and geography and so on were not inspiring those humans to do that sort of activity but were inspiring those people to do some other sort of activity um, all of which meant that um, the Europeans in particular got a jump on the rest of the world you know that's science you know science actually gave them an edge um, and because they're nasty you know Europeans are you know, just like Africans are nasty and indigenous Australians are nasty and everybody's nasty. But the point is the Europeans got a chance to act out on its nastiness because it had a technological edge on this occasion. There were other times in history where other cultures had a, an edge for other reasons, you know what I mean? Um, and they got nasty too. You know, but this time the Europeans got to be nasty and my goodness, they got nasty. And you know what, because they had a technological edge at that, you know, for that little window of time in history, it is a small window, we're only talking fairly recently, so we've only had a small time in history when Europeans have 
you know, got an edge. You know, that's changing now. I think, you know, I, I, you know, it really looks like the Chinese are starting to get an edge now. I think they're powering further ahead than us. You know, they've grabbed, you know, and by us, I mean Europeans, you know. Apologise for being a European. Well, I can't, you know. I could do a Michael Jackson, if you like, and, you know, turn African. Because uh, I do originally come from Africa. What are you talking about? You are appropriating our culture. Oh, oh, I don't know what to do now. I'm getting very confused. You told me to not be a European. No, you are a European. You can't do anything about it. You are a bad person. That's the way Naz thinks, I think. Who's Naz? You'd have to listen to her previous episode. My goddaughter has talked, been talking to me about Naz. This is now a stream of consciousness episode all of a sudden, you know, because I'm bouncing around. You know, I don't think you can keep up with this. Even I can't. And Naz, um, he, I've been, you know, she has fed me some of Naz's lyrics. Who's Naz? Naz is a rapper. He's an African American rapper. You know, and Naz is, um, oh, she showed look the songs she showed me that Naz has written, um, all are along the lines of everyone who has, you know, all everyone who has. Uh, dark skin, I think it is. Anyone who has even any dark skin in their skin, we must unite and smash the whites, you know. I think that's that's been the um, lyric, you know, that's been the meanings be, um, behind the rap songs I've heard from Naz so far. You know, so, you know, uh, I said to my goddaughter, oh, you remember Gandhi? And she said, I remember Gandhi. He was pretty yogic, she says. She's pretty yogic, my goddaughter. And I said, hey, Gandhi. You know, an eye for an eye, and the whole world goes blind. You know, and then but then Naz might say, "Oh, that's all very well for you to say because you just got lucky and you're living a life of privilege." And I said, "Yeah, that's right." But I still think that you know, if you just if you do what to me what I did to you, well, that'll just continue the cycle. And he'll say, "Well, yes, but you know that you're you know that's not fair because you've just had a good time, and now I don't get to have a good time." And I said, "You know." What are you asking, says Naz. And I said, well, you know, let's all live in harmony. And he said, well, that's not fair, you know, because, um, and I can't, and, you know, the, the world economy is stacked against me already anyway. It's not fair. I don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And we'll never get anywhere. The whole world will go blind. You know, all I know is if we are, Naz is asking for an eye, for an eye, I think. He might be a Jew, you know. Um, and what is Naz? You know, he doesn't know himself, maybe, from where, because they, you know, the history of slavery as it was in America is such that, you know, where you come from in Africa is erased, you know, you're, and all you've got left is to try and identify according to your skin colour, you know, so and that's the white people's fault, that's the Europeans' fault for that. All right, let's get back to science, you know. Um, and so... In my foggy idea of science, yes, I've got a whole lot of small T truths. And um, science is the art of seeing what you can detect with your blunt instruments that um, have been given to you by your professor or by God. One and the same thing, maybe. Your professor with a God complex. you know, Or maybe it's God with a professor complex, you know. And um, so, you've been given a toolbox, and it's full of blunt instruments, your sight, your hearing, and all that sort of thing, and you've gone out and you've measured as many things as you can about the world, 
and you have found this to be quite motivating for it has it, oh, that 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 activity has produced for you an iPhone you know which you really like and the religious guy says I'm not into science at all but I will buy an iPhone off you and you became rich you know by selling so many iPhones you did um, and you are now rich and um, you've got an edge on that religious guy you know but there might come a time in history further down the track where religion might give that guy an edge back and science might not be so useful you know when the big army when the religious armies appear on the horizon using all the tanks and the aircraft and the aircraft carriers and all that sort of stuff that science has found and then the religious armies you know paint crosses on all their military equipment and then come and use it against you and smash you to pieces but they've got all this machinery because it was they did buy it it was useful they liked it um, and then they use this machinery and their power and then it all shifts again you know and Babylon rises again and Babylon grabs all the um, inventions of science and then uses it against Europe and they had it coming said Naz you know it's a good thing and then they force the idea that it was God all along you know and then the world shifts yet again you know, that sort of thing but you know I think we got to the bottom of science there no of course we didn't you know I just had a ramble then and I think I managed to make a whole episode out of that somehow Gee, I wonder if that one made sense. I've got absolutely no idea. It feels like it didn't make much sense. Um, I've, arri I've arrived at Box Hill, and um, yeah, and I think I, I think I've um, sort of, you know, I think I've got to the bottom a little bit of what I think science is, and you know, it's a game. It's a game we play, which um, where we make up a set of rules um, that laws of you know physics and chemistry and all that sort of stuff and biology and even history you know laws on how to analyze history we make all these laws um, in philosophy you know we make all these things up it's all scientific um, and you know we write a set of books that um, summarize all of this information you know, um, which is data plus analysis, giving us information. And then we use that information for our own benefit. This is science and um, it works in a loop. And um, so it's an activity which ends up giving us iPhones, um, you know, TVs, um, everything else, a car you know, efficient ways of creating housing, um, all lovely things, um, nuclear weapons, nuclear energy, um, and, you know, microwave ovens, and all those sorts of things. Gives us a whole lot of useful things. And um, so um, it's a game all, of, all by itself, completely separate to faith, Jesus, uh, Buddha, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, it's a game all by itself that it's got, that can be, that has, you know, that is ignoring religion. Um, a game of 
um, you know, experiment, really, the scientific method and all that, you know, where you engage, science is engaging in a certain activity which gives you things that you think are making your life better. You may be wrong on that. You know, the Buddhists might say you're wrong on that. But the point is, you know, right now, if you if you had if you had never seen a car and someone said, "Listen, you know, I want to, you know, I offer this to you. I will give you a, a little um, game to play, and it, and it's called science. And if you play that game, you'll end up with a car, you know. And in that car, you can drive right around Australia and do the big lap." and see all the sights of Australia, the big lap, you know, go, go around, go, go from Melbourne across to Perth and you'll have the beach out your left window all the way around Australia until you come back again to Melbourne, you know, or go the other way and have it out your right window, you know, that's how, and you can, and you'll be stopping in McDonald's all the way and eating all the way, you know, and it'll be all just fun. Would you like to do that? You'll say, yeah, all right, I'll engage in that. Um, you, you know, uh, therefore, and then you're a scientist, you know, and that's what science does for you. I actually think Naz might have had a point when he wrote those rap songs. Um, let me think about that for a second. Uh, all right. Um, okay. So, uh, all right, all through history, mobs have been doing bad things to other mobs. You know, each time a mob gets an edge, it does bad things to a, another mob who hasn't got that edge. All right, that's happened a long, for a long time. So I suppose that is uh, a, a vicious cycle you know, um, of people not working together, but mobs just trying to claw their way to the top, like the law of the jungle. You know, I suppose that's the way it's always been. Um, you know, and Babylon rising. You know, Babylon. Babylon invented science. Those guys are fantastic. And um, Babylon invented mathematics, you know, I like. And Babylon invented writing. Babylon invented numbers, which they got from India. But they invented them anyway because everyone forgot that they came from India. Uh, Babylon, the Babylonians didn't tell anybody. They said, ah, this is um, Arabic numerals, you know. Arabic? Oh, no, that's... A different mob, is it? I get confused between the Semites and the uh, Arabs sometimes. All right, but Naz might have had a point. Let me think about this. So, all through history, it's been mob eat mob, you know, like dog eat dog. All right. Um, and it's, you know, and there's been slave masters and slaves, but nobody's wanted to get rid of slavery. Um, well, sometimes, yes. Um, I, I, I get a bit hazy about when slavery was first knocked off, you know, but I think it was started to get knocked off permanently, um, with, um, yeah, I th did it st is this because I'm English that I think Wilberforce and his, you know, uh, his lot started the ball rolling, you know, 
Yeah, I do know. I do know about Cyrus the Great. He he set all the slaves free, but did he did he abolish slavery? You know, I don't know. I really, really don't. You know, maybe he just set all the slaves free because he could. Maybe he got rich. Maybe he was a nice guy, and he said set all the slaves free. I'm not sure what he did. All right, Naz. Now the um. So, um, I am tempted sometimes to sort of think, oh, come on, Naz, you know, we've had this cycle forever. One mob, mob eat mob, one mob getting on top, and then one mob sinking to the bottom, and then the, the other mob getting a technological edge, and that mob getting up and making the other one's slave, you know. And the slave master becomes a slave, and the slave becomes a slave master, but the cycle isn't broken, you know. And I te I'm tempted to go with Gandhi and say, you know, eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind, you know. I'm starting to think like that, you know. I get feeling like that. And then I read uh, lyrics from a Naz song, and he's saying, browns and blacks, you know, even if you hated each other back in Africa, actually his lyrics suggest that it was that um I, th I can't remember his exact words but he said back in africa we made happiness you know we were the happiness people um we all loved each other read his lyrics you think i'm joking he actually says that back in africa we were you know we were the love makers you know we we, we were the happiness makers and um and we were stripped out of africa and you know, because we were just resources being stripped out of Africa. We were human resources getting stripped out of Africa, just like the Congo was getting stripped by the Belgians of its minerals and all that sort of thing. And we were stripped and we were taking, taken over to America. And we were love makers before then. We all loved each other. You think I'm joking. That, that's, in the, that's in his lyrics, you know, and he's claiming Egypt for himself. Um, he's saying that just because the Egyptians had brown skin, um, everyone who has brown skin worldwide gets to share the glories of Egypt and to be proud of that, you know. So, you know, and I honestly think Naz, and I understand where he's coming from, his identity is uh, all wrapped up in his skin colour because, um, because of the evils of slavery, his, uh, let's say, cultural sort of mob identity was erased by the whites you know the whites um created a white identity and in opposition to that the you know the, the african americans created a black identity uh but it does seem to uh be that people like naz and other african americans have um this sense that um uh that all people who have got similar skin colour should unite. God knows what happens when, you know, a black man and a white man marry. Are they supposed to fight? You know, I don't know what happens there in the Naz world. But anyway, I'm, you know, and I'm tempted to think, you know, sometimes I'm tempted to go with Gandhi. Gandhi, you know. Um, and say an eye for an eye and the whole world goes blind. And I'm sort of say, Naz, listen to Gandhi, you know, and um, and I want to be grumpy at Naz, and I want to say, and I find myself thinking this, you know, I want to say, listen, we've got to break the cycle sometime, and all start working together, and stop 
thinking in terms of skin colour and all that sort of stuff. And he said, oh, how convenient for you. You know, I can imagine Naz saying that. How convenient for you to time that for just when you were on top. You know, the minute you get on top, you know, it's like everyone's getting a turn to smash all the other mobs and you get right on top and you have an absolute rigged world economy and that's the time you choose that. All right, everyone, let's stop fighting. You know, and I sense people like me are like that. And I'm just looking at myself logical more, logically more than morally. I'm sort of saying, all right, what, have we, what are we doing here? And this might be Naz's point. Uh, you Europeans, you know, you're sitting in this little rich sort of seaside town of Sorrento. Um, you Aussie sort of skippy, um, whatever you call yourself, sporty monk type of guy. Um, and you've clawed your way to the top. And um, in the unending cycle of dog eat dog and mob get on top of mob, and as soon as you get on top, you rig the world economy, um, you institutionalise a system of racism, which you know, and it is, there is that sitting there. In the, I don't mind saying that I'm, a, you know, I don't mind saying there's racism. I'm not one of those whiteies that say. How dare you call me privileged? I'm not operating out of my white privilege and all that stuff. Of course I'm, but I disagree. I am. This whole pod- podcast, the very tone of my voice, the smarmy, the whole thing, is um, a product of my social construction and my white privilege and you know racism and all sorts of things. And the fact that I just go, I go for jobs every week as a consultant and I get them every time. It's just not fair. And someone like Naz hasn't got a chance against that. Right. So... Just thinking about trying to walk a mile in Naz's shoes. He says, you sit there in your car talking into your iPad and um, you are saying, let's break the cycle just when you've got the world rigged in your favour. I think that's what Naz's might be, you know, that might be Naz's point, where he's got a good point anyway. You just wait till you've got everything set up so that you've got all the advantages you rig the entire world economy. You got everything set up beautifully. You got an institutionalized set of, um, you know, race. Well, racist um, advantages going on, such that, um, you know, jobs for the boys and all that sort of thing. It really happens, you know. You got all that set up, and that's the time when you decide to pull the trigger and say, "Let's stop this vicious cycle of mobs getting on top of mobs." you know, of um, one mob overcoming another mob and then so on and so forth and so on and so forth, you know. You wait till you're on top of the pile. You rig everything where realistically in the next 500 years anyone underneath you hasn't got a chance unless they fight. Um, You rig everything and just when you've got everything rigged, you say, let's stop fighting. Let's end the cycle. Okay? And Naz might say, and I'm actually really thinking in, from his perspective now, Naz might say, okay, so is this the way it is? Um, we all play happy families now, and we all compete on an even, you know, we all, com- we all work together now, do we? And um, where you've got all the advantages, the, ho- the whole deck is stacked in your favour, you know, you've given me all the twos and threes and fours in the, you know, deck, 
of playing cards and you're holding all the aces and the kings and the queens and the jacks and you're saying, right, let's all play fair now. Is that what you're saying? You, there, in your car, late at night, in Sorrento, right? While I'm wherever I am, in really crapsville in America somewhere because I'm a rapper. Well, he might be a multimillionaire, but you know, he might still have that I'm living in crapsville sort of attitude. Um, he might, you know, but um, yeah, I know what. I think I know what I'm saying, and I think you might know what I'm saying. This is from NASA's perspective. You might be you might be one of my fellow Europeans and just hating the sound of all this and uh, wishing I would shut up. Well, look at that. I did shut up. You see, what happened is I'm two different people in one. I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and... Mr. Hyde just cut in on Dr. Jekyll and he, he's, he reached out and he pressed stop and he said, you stop there, Dr. Jekyll. That's enough of that bolshy talk. Now, and uh, so, uh, and, you know, because the other side of me didn't like all of that, you know, didn't sound right. I'm I'm a progressive, you know. I think we can all live beautifully together. I really do. I I think Naz is wrong. I think we are seven billion beautiful souls, and uh, as many pop songs go, and I think we can all love each other if we could just love each other. You know, we just need to love each other. Now that I'm on top, <laughs> no. Um, if we can all forget that bit. <clears throat> uh, if we can all just love each other. I know this because I saw Harry and Megan's. Uh, wedding and there was a priest on there and he said if we just love each other it'll all work out and i think he's right you don't listen to naz you know you listen to that priest let's let's have one little bit and then that'll be the end of the prologue end of prologue prologue I didn't mean to say that. End of prologue. Um, suddenly I'm from Surrey or something. <laughs> uh, I don't even know how the English say it, actually. And, uh, and uh, end of snippet from chapter 14. End of 35-minute snippet. I do my snippets big. All right. Now we're going to go back in time to episode one after the prologue, and I just checked, and that episode is called Social Construction, Zen Swagger, and Orazio Fantasia. I love Orazio Fantasia. On with the show. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.